0: This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. And now, on with the show. Hey everyone, welcome to... We're watching here, we're watching here... This is Opinionated Movie Talk with Chris and Perry. My name is Chris Williams with me. He's the silly games to my kung fu fighting Perry Cyber. That's that's very entertaining based
1: on something I'm going to say later.
0: <laughs> oh, today we are going to be continuing our catch-up of 2020 films. We're going to be talking about Steve McQueen's Lover's Rock. We're going to be talking about Darius Martyr's Sound of Metal. And Eliza Hittman's Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always. Maybe not in that order, though. Um, But before we do that, Perry, today was a big day for the Film Critics Society we're a part of, the Detroit Film Critics Society. Uh, They uh, announced the top films of 2020, and I'm sure you saw the list. You voted with me. I did indeed. Our year-end awards are up and ready to be
1: perused and argued about and discussed and tweeted.
0: And I hope you like Nomadland. So, because uh, <laughs> yeah. that, that's all over. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, I obviously it was my number one film of the year, but I, I could have gone with maybe Carrie Mulligan as best actress. I
1: voted very specifically to try to push other films. Okay. <laughs> Figuring that Nomadland was getting more than enough support. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm, I, as I said, I think I said this when we talked about it. I think there's no doubt at this point Nomadland is the, is the odds-on favorite for the actual Oscar for Best Picture at this mm-hmm. point. Not that it's a lot, but I think it's the odds-on favorite. And that's fine. I, I, I felt much the same way about Parasite. I'm like, that's fine. It's not my favorite film of the year, but I understand why it gets this praise. And I'm fine with that. I want that kind of film to be awarded and rewarded.
0: Sure. Um, I'm really glad at the showing Minari had, which you can listen to our episode that talked about Minari, First Cow and Nomadland. Um, but that won a few. Um, I was really happy that we went with Delroy Lindo though. For
1: that. Yes. I'm very happy with our actor and supporting actor choice. Yeah. I am, I am, I am thrilled with both of those selections and I can live with the rest. Unlike other years in which I want to publicly say, I really didn't vote to support this in any capacity. <laughs> I don't have that feeling this year. That is not what I'm saying about this year's set of set of winners.
0: That is very good. Um, I, I was just really happy that enough people saw Dick Johnson is dead to vote that for best documentary because that was my pick, and I thought I was kind of going out of the limb there. You were uh you were right on the money. I was right on the money, <laughs> and uh yeah, so you can go back. We've talked about several of the nominated films on prior podcasts, so we have an episode on Uh, Defy Bloods, we have an episode on Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, on One Night in Miami, First Cow, Nomad, Laminari. Go back and check. We've talked about all these, and who knows, in the next few weeks we might talk about more of them. So, Perry, before we move on to uh, talk about more 2020 catch-ups, what have you been watching lately?
1: I am... uh, I will... uh, Yet again was asked to appear on an episode of Cathode Ray Mission, and we are doing... I don't want to say a definitive dive because I think uh, I think the uh, the gentleman who runs that podcast thinks this is too big a filmography to commit to one episode on. So we're going to be flitting around the filmography of Steven Spielberg. Oh, wow. That has forced me to go back through some stuff that I haven't watched in a very long time, sometimes since it first came out. Uh, And so I had two very interesting experiences with uh with early 21st century spielberg i revisited ai and the terminal okay okay and was uh pleasantly surprised by my reaction to both in different ways uh the, the terminal is even better than i remembered the terminal really only suffers from having uh, a, a a gaudishly hissable bad guy brilliantly played by stanley tucci Like, like, it's just, it's the, it's the, it's lazy. It's the only aspect of the film that's lazy. And I'm not talking about his performance. I just mean that character, that character just fluctuates. It's whatever the movie needs at that moment, that character is. Mm -hmm. And so it's a screenplay issue. That said, I really like sort of trapping Spielberg in one place and making him make that, make that uh, terminal interesting visually for two hours. Uh, And it is a... It is the kind of performance most actors couldn't get away with. Tom Hanks is very good (laughs) in it. Yes. Uh, That accent should disqualify you from serious consideration (laughs) for much of anything. And yet it plays. He makes it work both as that guy's voice and obviously using it for comedic timing. Uh, it's a really interesting movie. I remember it being interesting. I'd never gone back to it. Uh, and I had warmer feelings for it than I remembered with the same caveat of, Oh, Stanley Tucci's fantastic at this. And he's he might as well just be twirling his mustache throughout <laughs> most of it. Like this, this is a better film than that.
0: I, you know, I don't think I've seen that since it came out on home video, which is the only time I saw it. I didn't see it in the theaters. And I remember liking it. I just never, it's another one of those ones. I just never went back to, uh, what did you think of AI? I'm always curious about people's reaction. to AI
1: that. was another interesting revisit. I think it's the first time I've seen it since I saw it in the theater. Okay. I don't, I might have watched it like, you know, the, the week it came out on DVD. I don't remember. I don't own it. So I don't think I did. Um, It is weird mm-hmm. and really, really idiosyncratic. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Nobody else would have made it. Um, It is interesting how often Spielberg approximates Kubrick without ever really feeling like Kubrick. Uh, And I will say that the flaw that I remember at the time still holds for me. And it's that Spielberg is at his heart. Really. He is childlike. (laughs) He's, He's always been childlike. And I don't, Necessarily intend to mean that he's immature. I just mean that the fault for me in the film, for all of its grand ideas, comes down to the fact that he cannot conceive of love uh, from a child being anything more than the need to be loved. And there's a weird miss there that is, that is not emotionally correct for the, for the case he lays out at the front of the film about what this film is. It just doesn't work. It falls apart because he's not willing to tackle what is, what really is love then what is the responsibility Mm -hmm. to a thing you love But he's not programmed to be loved. He's programmed to love. Right. So it's off. It's just, Mm -hmm. there's this, there's just a misfire for me in the emotional thrust of the story. I want to just follow the mom. I don't care that the kid wants to be loved (laughs) because he's a robot. He's not a kid. I am not emotionally invested in this journey at all. It is only an intellectual exercise. And he fails to follow the question that he's posing. So it falls apart as that. All that said, man, it doesn't look like anything else. It doesn't feel much like anything else. I mean, in general and in the Spielberg catalog, mm-hmm. it's a fascinating movie, and I like I like how idiosyncratic it is. It's what it's
0: the first time he'd taken a screenplay credit since Close Encounters. Yeah. Um, so no, he re- didn't. He write the screenplay, or at least did the story for Poltergeist.
1: I meant of a film he directed. Yes. Oh, okay, he has yes. a screenplay credit on Poltergeist. Yes. But I mean, yes, close be, meaning this is really personal in a way mm-hmm. that many of his films are not. Um, yeah. So it's, it's a fascinating movie. And the last thing I'll say is that Jude Law remains a God. <laughs> I, 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 I love Jude Law. <laughs>
0: and, I... and this is, it's, it's nice to remember why. I I love him in that. I need to, I'm due for a revisit to AI. It's one I go back to every few years because it is one of those ones that the things I like, I love, but there's always just, there's something that keeps me from like totally loving it and I can never figure it out. And I think what you said was something I want to keep in mind when I watch it again, uh, which I I need to restart my Spielberg series. And when we get (laughs) to where we're at, I can probably talk more about that. But uh, yeah, that's one I'm looking forward to revisiting again. Um, what have you been watching, Chris? Oh man, I, I I was having a hard time picking one for this. So, I've watched a lot with my kids, but I really don't want to talk about watching Goonies because I got in trouble the other night when I said it's not good. Um, <laughs> ah! I, and no, you're right. pref- it's I'm gonna practice that it, it's, it, 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 it's not terrible, but no, it's not good. And, <laughs> no, and and I enjoy the Goonies, I have a lot of nostalgia and a lot of love for it. I watched it with my son, it's great to watch with a nine year old, but I got you, you would have thought. I had kicked a puppy when I said Goonies isn't good, even though I followed that up with it plays for a nine year old. (laughs) Um, So I watched that. I watched Spongebob movie with my kids. And the only thing worth saying about that is it's the least weird Spongebob movie there is, (laughs) even though it has Keanu Reeves as a talking tumbleweed. But uh, the one I want to talk about is uh, last weekend, we took our kids to the Henry Ford Museum. And we we got a pass uh, to go there and Greenfield Village over the summer. Um, And while we were there, we decided to go see an IMAX movie. And they had, you know, one of those 45-minute documentaries. It was about people teaching kids about the wilds of America, narrated by Morgan Freeman. And, you know, as a movie, it's a 45-minute IMAX documentary. There's nothing really spectacular to the content you know to what you're learning but oh my gosh perry after sitting and watching movies on my tv or laptop for the last year to sit in front of because the the henry ford imax is one of those giant i think it's the biggest screen in michigan one of those giant screens crystal crystal clear projection 3d Man, it was like a religious experience. It <laughs> like there were shots that were in space, there was up close, you know, to bugs, there were you know, shots in the woods, and it was so great. And my kids were just I like my son's been to IMAX movies before, like he's been to the Limax movies at AMC. Like that's how he saw Endgame and sure. Fun. But he hasn't seen an IMAX movie like this, and my daughter who is fascinated by space, had never been to an IMAX movie. Wow. They both They both like just came out like I felt like I was in the movie and it was great. And it was so much fun. And yeah, just to be remembered that movies can give you that experience, which it, even just with something that is so, you know, on the surface, such a, you know, 45 minute easy thing that would be a feature on 60 minutes if it wasn't for the cameras used and things like that. (laughs) Uh But uh, so much fun to do that. I I loved doing that. Moving on to smaller screens. uh, We are continuing our catch up of films from 2020. Although I think a lot of times now, it's 2020 first two months of 2021. Time means nothing anymore. As we talked about,
1: I I follow the Oscar calendar. If it came out between January 1, 2020 and February 28th, 2021, it's a 2020 release.
0: It's, and and yeah, time means nothing. But um, we're going really far back for our first movie we're going to talk about because from what I remember, Never Rarely Sometimes Always was the talked about movie at last year's Sundance. Indeed. In 2020. So we're talking pre-pandemic everything, all the critics were talking about Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always, which is now available to stream on HBO Max as well as I think rental at most places. Uh, Perry, this film had not been on my radar to talk about until with our last episode, you had it as we're, as your we're watching pick. Yeah. So we decided to talk about that. You were very taken with it. And I'm wondering if you could kick us off by... Telling the people what this movie is about and why you liked it so much. This is the
1: third film from writer-director Eliza Hittman. Uh, it stars a young woman named Sydney Flanagan as Autumn, a teenager who discovers she is pregnant. And the entire film is about how she scrapes up enough money and uh, goes with her cousin, uh, played by Talia Ryder, named Skyler, to uh, New York City. To uh, no Philadelphia, it's Philadelphia. New York city.
0: No, she leaves Pennsylvania to go to New York city. That's right. That's right. That's
1: how that works. Uh, So that she can get an abortion. And uh, it's about what a 17 year old goes through trying to get an abortion. And that's, and it's played at this incredibly unheightened level. It is, it is flat. And I mean that just, I just mean that it is realistic. That it is, it is realism (laughs) writ large, (laughs) or writ very small. In this case, Uh, you know, it's the kind of movie where I can barely remember a score. It's not—I don't think of music when I think about the movie. It is just about uh, the—it is watching the behavior of these two teenage girls and figuring out their relationship through very, very elliptical conversations and scenes we understand why they're doing things they do the both of the young actresses are superb uh and i was never less than engaged i wanted to keep going with them no matter what they were doing uh and the film very smartly always has this threat uh sometimes more present than others there is just this ongoing uh assault of masculinity (laughs) that's not played in any obvious way at all it's super subtle with one possible exception (laughs) the 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 father issue the father the father character is is the only thing that is on the nose in this movie Mm -hmm. uh and it's it's jarring at first uh it really did kind of bother me early i'm like wow this is this is really obvious in a film that's not being obvious about much of anything. Um, and then that pays off <laughs> yes. in the absolute best sequence in the movie uh, uh, from which the movie takes its title. And I don't wish to say anything more than that. Cause anything more than that to me, I think is kind of spoilers for that sequence. Uh, it's, it's just this, um, this is the film. This does everything for me. Uh, that that nomad land does for most people <laughs> all of the reservations i have about nomad land which we've talked about in the past and nomad land's great <laughs> i want to say again nomadland is great but i don't love nomad land i love this because it it is that granular and i think it tells just as big a story and i think it tells uh it shows me a a a person that i don't often see on american movie screens which is a pregnant 17 year old girl trying to figure out what she's going to do about it. Uh, And, and, and not written in Diablo Cody speak. It is, (laughs) it is just, (laughs) it is naturalistic. And, and, uh, and at the same time, very low key. It is not like a Cassavetes film. It's not a series of acting exercises. It is just this incredibly low key
0: personal examination of this character. And it really works for me. Hey, yeah, this one again was one that came out last year. It, I think it's, it got so it was in those days when releases were kind of nebulous. Like, when does a movie come out anymore? Where, what, where is it at? And it kind of got lost in the shuffle for me. Um, so I was glad to see it was on HBO Max. Um, this one hit me hard. This yeah. was a uh, this this was. I, I don't want to say it's a tough set. Like I, no. I never, it's not. It is not misery porn you know it is not no. look how horrible life is it's but it's not also flippant at all um i grew up I, this is going to surprise no one who's listening to our show <laughs> i grew up in culture where abortion was the number one topic it, it it determined how you voted it determined so much of your philosophy in life and you know, I I grew up and I realized you know there's still wrestlings that I have philosophically theology with it, but oh my gosh, Perry, this movie should be required watching for anyone who is going to stand on a picket line. Yeah. Um. The the thing that kept going through this through my mind when I was watching this was uh Roger Ebert's quote about movies being empathy generating machines. <laughs> um. Because this is a deeply empathetic movie. This is a movie that just. It, it, it just watches these two girls go, you know, on this journey to New York, and it, it's it's deeply empathetic in the fact that it it watches and studies them. It still gives them a modicum of privacy. That scene you're talking about is amazing, not so much for anything that's revealed, but for what's held back. Yeah. But it, it, the privacy it still allows, um, but it's also a movie about empathy. Uh, About, you know, how uncaring some people can be, how threatening some people can be, but about how much it matters too when someone just listens, or when someone is just there, there are two shots in this movie of people holding hands. Yeah, that I think are among the most moving things I've seen. Um, Yeah, this is this this movie kind of knocked me flat. um, Because it wasn't what I was expecting. I don't, I don't really know exactly what I was expecting. Um, but I was expecting something, I don't know, a little more talky. I I guess it's the only thing I I knew it was kind of a road trip type thing. So in my head, I'm thinking, oh, it's a sadder book smart, maybe. Um, (laughs) Which is totally not this movie. (laughs) No, that is not this movie. (laughs) But what really amazed me was the relationship between these two girls And how, like you said, you know what they're doing, what they have to do. You know exactly how they care about each other. You probably figure out their history and there are very few sequences at all where they say more than two words to each other. Yeah, like There is hardly any dialogue in this thing and yet you understand their nuances and dynamics so well. Um, And I had not seen um, I'm looking for the name too. uh, Sydney Flanagan. I hadn't seen her in anything and she carries so much weight behind those eyes that she has yeah Um, that scene you talk about is i think it's my second most powerful movement moment in the movie there's another moment that has to do with another it's one of the holding hands ones um and i'll just say it's the kiss scene
1: yes Um, i know i i figured that's where you were yes
0: that that hit me hard too Um, but she's so good in this when that camera just lingers on her just the way she sells that that's hard and she does really solid
1: work. It is, I you know, I've talked about before why Taxi Driver is my favorite film, and it's because I have I, it, it pulls off the miracle feat of never giving you any backstory mm-hmm. outside of the opening scene where Travis interviews for the taxi driver job. You learn no discernible hard facts about him. Mm-hmm. About what he was going through, nothing. And that is the absolute same in this movie. It is it is all you are you are discovering the character through behavior. Yeah. And entirely. And- there is no point where you stop and you get told what has happened. Mm-hmm. And that's that is always rewarding because it puts such faith in the audience. Yeah. It puts so much trust and faith that an audience will follow and will pay attention. And we will. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Um, The thing I liked about that, too, about not under not knowing everything about her, including like details that you would think this movie would spill for you. Yes, is it would be it's such a cop out sometimes to make a movie that says, no, we're going to consider someone in this position and what she goes through. And then you kind of argue people into well, this is her situation, so I can be okay with this. This is her situation, so this. No, it says be okay with this because she's a human being going through this situation. We're not going to give you that easy out of saying, well, this is a, under my little loophole of where I'm okay about things. <laughs> it's it, it's saying, no, pay attention to her. It is her situation. It is, she is a human being. Um, I, I really, I, again, whenever movies deal with abortion, I kind of get my hackles up because I, Really, just worry. It's going to be a political movie. It's going to be a statement movie, and this movie is political in the fact that it it makes an argument for better health care and and better you know yes. a better process. But it does that in a way that never once comes out and says we're arguing for better health care. We're arguing for better. Pro-. It it does that through humanity through. Yeah, yeah. I I really liked this. I like the the motif that kind of runs through of switching off carrying luggage uh just a small yes. thing and it, and it, it it's one of those bits of symbolism that i i could just be way too heavy-handed but it works so well here um yeah i really really liked this movie i i, I wish i had seen it before i voted oh i, I know hearing that i wish you had too i know <laughs> oh i had it all over my ballot oh it it, it is pretty great pretty great um yeah. I don't even know if there's much more to say. It, it, no, other than seek it out. It's, yeah. it
1: really is. It really is a special movie. It's, it it is not what you're expecting. It was not what I was expecting. And I was looking forward to seeing it. I remember it was one of those first films that it was like, it's 20 bucks to rent <laughs> right when the <laughs> pandemic started, when they tried that and I was like, Oh, I want to, and there is nobody else in my household who wants to see this. <laughs> I have a hard time plugging that down as much as I want to see this. So I was very thankful when it showed up on, on HBO max. That's
0: yeah. how I watched a few months ago. And it's,
1: it, it really is a special movie.
0: It is. It, I highly recommend it. HBO max. If you're already subscribing for Tom and Jerry, come on, do it Please. for this. Yeah. Please. Um, there's kind of a theme in these three movies that we're talking about this week. They're all movies that are not what I expected at all. And Moving into our second movie, I can say this is one that I saw in the fall that just knocked me flat on my ass when I saw it, because the director it came from, this is not what I expected from him. Um, so Steve McQueen actually did five films this year, all available on Amazon Prime. Uh, it, it is his small act series of films. They all tackle some segment of black life in London over the, la- over the last few decades, um, lover's rock is the second movie that was released in that anthology. Uh, it basically follows a house party, the formation duration and kind of after events of that party, uh, in a London suburb in the, I believe it's 1980, early 1980s is what I believe. I, I'm not sure. The
1: only hard clue I have is it's definitely after 1974.
0: Okay. Um, <laughs> But yeah, it just follows the events of this house party. Um, this, is, this is a movie, like I said, it knocked me flat when I saw it. Steve McQueen Perry is a director who he has made films that have ended up on my top 10 list a few times. I really like Shame. I really like 12 Years a Slave. I really like Widows. Two of those three movies, as much as I like them, I will never watch again. Because I f- they are such arduous experiences. Um, and what surprised me about Lover's Rock is it is a very lovely, vibrant, and alive movie. I-, I think when I wrote my review, I called it the most alive thing I had seen last year. So, how did you feel about Lover's Rock, Perry? I, uh, I, I,
1: I, I am less enamored of McQueen as you are. I, I, I had. I, I thought hunger was an endurance test. I think shame. Uh, sh- it's really interesting to talk about shame uh, and never always, uh, sorry, never really, sometimes always in the same episode because for me, shame gets wrong because of its style. Everything that never, rarely, sometimes, always gets right. <laughs> um, uh, Twelve Years a Slave is, I, I, I think, un, unimpeachably necessary and great and 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 important um uh just for its sheer existence it's kind of impossible to argue that but and widows is (laughs) <laughs> I remember when Widows came out, a friend of mine online said, oh, go see it. It's fun. I said, <laughs> is it really fun or is it Steve McQueen's idea of fun? And she said, okay, it's Steve McQueen's idea of fun. Which yeah. means it's not fun. There's no fun. Uh, and the shocking thing to watch this is to realize that Steve McQueen can actually film pleasure. Yeah. I did not know he was capable and I still have my issues. I have said on this podcast in the, in the past that Steve McQueen's in Steve McQueen's cinematic universe, nobody has sex without crying afterwards. (laughs) That's the only reaction. And that's still true in this movie. So let's be real clear. Okay. With all, with all of the crosses around, (laughs) there is still a lot of religious guilt going on in this movie. Okay. (laughs) that said yes there are actual moments of genuine pleasure it is uh it is remarkable how much of this 71 minutes is devoted to just watching people dance yeah uh i mean it's got to be a good 25 minutes <laughs> of the yeah. 71 yeah. minutes is literally just watching and not in any sort of like Ooh, oh now they're dancing with that person there's no drama like that going on you are just admiring mm-hmm. the human form dancing which yeah. is a pleasure especially in this form especially for something that's only 71 minutes it's the kind of thing that makes me you know we we have complained a lot about streaming services but boy the is there to throw money at filmmakers and let them do short works you know, I would love to see forty-minute, thirty-minute, fifty-five-minute movies from big-time directors who just have a story that—that's mm-hmm. all they need. They don't need two hours. I would love for Netflix and all of the streaming services to go in the other direction instead of tell instead of saying, "Ooh, you get ten hours to tell your story." Hey, do you only need twenty-five minutes? Go for it. <laughs> here i'm i'm just as likely to hang in there for another month if you give me that than you give me 10 hours of something that i don't want to slog through (laughs) just because it's 10 hours long um so yeah for a lot of reasons this is this is so worth checking out and man if you love reggae music (laughs) whoo! wow what a soundtrack that's the reason the movie's made it is an ode to reggae music and uh and a great one yeah, it's it's uh it is a it's uh, it's really good, and it it is shocking that it is by Steve McQueen in so many ways.
0: It, it is. It's very warm pl- I and mean, there there is there's danger lurking at the edges. Um, there you know you you do understand that them going to this party is an escape in many ways, uh, and, and there are certain shots out to the community that that make you oh, aware yeah. of, of what's going on at the edges or, you know, it, it, after the party's over, it kind of hints that, you know, life is not, you know, the people who are all swagger on the dance floor are, are not necessarily that way when they go back to work the next day. Mm-hmm. This is their escape. This is their way to, you know, celebrate culture, celebrate their their background, you know, without, you know, oppression or anyone picking on them. Um, I love even the early stretch of this where it's just watching people get the party ready. They're (laughs) cooking food, they're singing, they're getting all the speakers set up. Um, Like you said, the the middle half of this is almost just completely dancing. Um, And and like you said, it's just bodies in motion. He, he's, it, it feels a lot looser for him, but he's still, very focused on how he 's composing everything and what he's what he's capturing he 's still Steve McQueen, um, oh yeah, but oh, yeah. Uh, but it just it, in its best moments, I really feel like it it really captures the same feeling of what I like about something like Dazed and Confused, where you are at this place at this time, and all that matters is what's going on right then at that time uh, i 'm not going to say this is as good as Dazed and confused, but it it captures that feeling for me in those moments.
1: It's. It reminded me of. Uh, I was a big fan of. Uh, uh, Everybody gets some, the link letter yes. film about the college baseball players, mm-hmm. and uh, one of my dear friends who saw it and and, and admires link letters as much as I do, <laughs> said it's fine, but it reminded me why I hated hanging around with jocks, <laughs> and I was like, yes. Yes, that's exactly. I understand why you have that feeling. I don't share that because they don't bother me. But that's what this felt like. It was like, okay, I am at this party. And, mm-hmm. you know, after, and I have to admit, for me, I could have stopped watching it about the 20 minute mark and it had been perfect. Like, I, I agree with you. It's watching the whole process of setting it up and getting ready and then through the performance of, and the full dance through of Kung Fu Fighting, which is a song I adore, uh, uh, not ironically. I think it's a fantastic dance, it's funny, <laughs> it's great, it's, 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 it's fantastic. And to watch that entire dance sequence, I was like, I could stop now. This is all I need. I don't mm-hmm. need any more. You have succeeded in this perfect short story, uh, this perfect tone poem. Uh, and then there's another 50 minutes which I'm like, okay, you're going to give me some characters. That's fine. I'm going to, I'm going to confess. I was never emotionally involved with anybody <laughs> and not to say I disliked them. I just didn't gravitate towards anybody. Uh, you know, it, it went where I expected it to go from McQueen. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Yeah. It, it addressed the things I was like, okay, yeah. Okay. Well, yes, there you are. Yep. There you are. Uh-huh. Yep. Okay. Uh, and so, you know, it, I was very happy to see it. I was very happy to know he's capable of something else. And the thing that's going to bother me going forward is if I know he's capable of something else, it's going to bother me if he continues to be as he always was. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, now, because then it's not a question of, oh, you can't do anything else. It's you're choosing to do this. Sure. Why are you choosing to do this? <laughs> Smile a little bit.
0: Uh, <laughs> um the, I wasn't really uh, yeah, the, there's a love story that kind of weaves its way through and I don't know that I was ever super invested in that. Um but the sequence that I really appreciated, really liked was when someone it, there, there's someone who, at the dance who's been drinking a little too much um and he starts, you know, kind of picking a fight. And it, the fight gets, you know, kind of calmed down, but it's all done without any dialogue or without you understanding exactly yeah. what people are saying. But just the dynamics of how they play that plays out feels so genuine and natural. Uh, I, I really liked that. It's really an experiential film. It, it, yes. If it, it, if it stops and talks too much, yeah, you can kind of, you, you know, it, it, the emotional investment kind of wears off, but. Man, when that party's going, it is so much fun to watch.
1: Oh, you are there. Mm-hmm. You are there, and I I mean that in the best possible way. It's yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a fantastic
0: short short piece. Now, have you seen any of the other small acts films he's done? I have
1: I have not. Okay. I I don't know. I should. I fully grant I should. <laughs> I don't I, know when that's going to happen.
0: <laughs> um I would say this one's definitely an outlier. This is the only one that is not based on a true story. Um, the rest are all about you know historical moments or historical mm-hmm. figures. This is actually, I think, inspired by McQueen's aunt um, and the party she would go to. Um, but I would definitely recommend the first episode or episode. I've been arguing these are actual movies. That's what Amazon calls but, them. Yeah. So you um, might as well call them episodes because that's how people are going to find them. So so the first episode, Mangrove, is a two-hour movie. It's a two-hour courtroom drama. And I loved that one as well. It It is pretty fantastic, especially – If you've seen um, The Trial of the Chicago 7, which we've talked about on this show, uh, it's an interesting one to stack right up next to that one. I actually think I prefer Mangrove to Trial of the Chicago 7. Um, And then I've seen Red, White, and Blue, which is the third episode, uh, and that has a fantastic performance uh, by John Boyega. That's what I've heard. Um, yeah. He's really good, but it is definitely a yes, all of those people cry after sex movie. Yes, that's that's <laughs> um, McQueen's it's universe. Bit, it's a little bit back into that. Um, but yeah, lovers rock. I'm glad you liked it. Uh I'm I'm glad we got to talk about it. That's been that was near the top of my list through most of voting. I was I was really hoping more people would see that. Um, and then we have the third film, which is also music related. Um Sound of Metal, Darius Martyr's debut. Um, Perry, you want to tell the good people what this one is about?
1: This follows a a metal drummer, a heavy metal drummer who uh, is traveling around the Midwest. It's kind of the Midwest. Yeah, yeah. Middle East West somewhere uh, playing gigs with his girlfriend. He's the drummer. She's the guitarist singer. And uh, really early in the movie, he loses his hearing. And uh, because just, you know, one trauma is not enough for a movie anymore. He's also a former addict. So we're going to wrestle with the fact that he can't hear anymore. And that makes him want to drink and do drugs. And he ends up living in a, uh, a deaf commune, the uh and trying to piece his life back together there uh i i watched about 20 minutes of it and then went and looked up who was behind it and realized oh that's why this feels familiar this feels like a derek c in france movie and it is yes he wrote it while doing reads uh as i understand it uh uh Place the doing, was doing research for, okay. uh, for him, for some other story. Like they were thinking about doing this as a, uh, I guess a docudrama. It's sort of loosely based on a real person okay. that they found. And then, uh, they fashioned into a, a fictional script and boy, if you, uh, if you were a fan of the place beyond the pines, uh, this is, this is going to feel really familiar. And and I was, I quite like that movie. I, I quite love the first two thirds of that movie. Uh, it is, uh, it is all those things I like. It is, it is elliptical. There isn't a ton of backstory. <laughs> you, you settle in on the behavior of this character and Riz Ahmed is very good in it. He's getting all sorts of year-end buzz. He's probably going to get nominated for the Oscar. Uh, he is not undeserving. It's, it's a good performance. It's a good performance, mm-hmm. uh, performance helped along greatly by a very good script. <laughs> I think anybody playing this part would be getting nominated for an Oscar. That is not a knock on Riz Ahmed in the slightest. He missteps not at all, uh, and it uh, it it again. Like we we're saying, it it plays. It is interesting to be in this world. Uh, you know, you are you are treated to you know. It's that, it's that classic thing where he is our audience surrogate. We are following him into this mm-hmm. world that is strange. We are learning it as he learns it, uh, and in doing so. Makes you very empathetic about people who have a hearing loss. This is this 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 is a sneaky empathetic movie yeah. <laughs> that, that that pays off in a final sequence that is uh, is absolutely perfect. And you can also see coming a mile off if you're paying yeah, yeah. Any attention at all. Yeah. <laughs> there's only one way this movie's going to end. Uh, uh, yeah, I I I I like it a great deal. I am short of loving it I, 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 I don't want to call it great uh, But it's very good It's a it's a fantastic first film Love a good first film uh, I had not I have not I, 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 I shouldn't say I haven't seen Riz Ahmed in anything I saw Nightcrawler I don't remember him at all from oh, Nightcrawler I <laughs> But have... I didn't like Nightcrawler nearly as much as a lot of other people <laughs>
0: Okay. I don't, I, I, oddly enough, I don't remember him in Nightcrawler. Uh, oddly, which is weird because I like Nightcrawler quite a bit. Um, but I first saw Riz Ahmed in, um, Four Lions a few years back. I don't know which I have not seen. Okay. So yeah. I love, uh, he also did an HBO miniseries called The Night of, which, which I want to watch and I have it, not yet. So, which is, he's really good in, John, but he's, you know, he's really good, but he's also up against John Turturro, who is flat out fantastic. Yeah, in yeah. Um, yeah I, I I like him. I think he's fantastic here. Like he you is. said, I, I think anyone would be, you know, getting all the raves, but he, he is fantastic. He's, you know, he's angry by turns, but he's also a very calm actor when he needs to be. And I think he sells kind of this turmoil he's going through. Um, because what I was really worried about, I, I this is a movie that I held off on when it first came out until I kind of was like that release date is coming up. I need to review this. I need to sit down and watch this. Um, I thought it was going to be the triumph over the odds movie, right? That like builds to some big emotional crescendo where there's victory and tears. And Mm -hmm. I didn't want to see that. I've seen that movie before. And then as you kind of alluded to, when I learned, he's also an alcoholic, I'm like, I know beat for beat where this movie's going. Um, there, there's going to be you know the relapse, and I'll, the movie doesn't do that. Yeah. Um, what I love is that this is not a movie about someone who is just you know how do I get back to the way life is before he he's like that. But the whole point is he's wrestling with change. He's wrestling with the fact that he he has this thing that he depends on. To keep him steady, to keep him dry, to keep him sane. And it's taken away. That plan is taken away from him. And it's how do you move forward with your life? And watching it last fall, like when we're in the midst of everything kind of going to shit, was like, oh, okay, I feel this. I can empathize even more with this. Yeah, it is beautifully timed. It really is just grappling with change. It's not how do you overcome something? It's how do you live with this change to your life? Um, which the movie very wisely and pointedly makes a statement that it's not they don't view it as a handicap. It's the way they live, right. it's the way he's supposed to live. Um, it really would make an interesting companion piece with uh Did you see Soul, the Disney movie? I haven't powering. yet, I need to. Okay.
1: Very thematically
0: to. similar. Um Okay. But but yeah, I, I love that that's what this movie is. It it just lets him it's it's this wrestling of you know, this new normal he's in. Um, also, I think while Riz Ahmed is fantastic, it's Paul Ratchy or Racy. I can't pr- figure out how to pronounce the last name, but he plays the mentor that Ruben meets at the Deaf community. Yes. And he is so good. Uh, he is the heart of the movie for me.
1: Yeah, he's, he is superb. There is no doubt about it. And like you were saying, I love how it, you know, there are beats you expect. Mm-hmm. pun intended. And then there are beats that that go elsewhere, which is one of the things I really like about about St. Francis movies in general. I, I he does that. He's able to set you in a situation that you've seen before, but he's tackling it in a, in a different way than you expect. And that's mm-hmm. really great. I love the fact that, you know, I like I said my the wind went out of my sails for a second when they make it, when he's we discover he's an addict too. And then and then you realize, "Oh, no, he's mostly recovered there. I mean, I mean, he's been in recovery for a long time. He has figured out how to put his life back together, mm-hmm. like you were saying. And it's there isn't really this threat that he's going to relapse. That's not you, know, you would expect right. that melodramatic thread to run through it. And it's not there at all. It shows up again in a really interesting way. <laughs> they do. They don't ignore it. It's absolutely mm-hmm. addressed within the movie, but not in any sort of obvious way or any way that you expect, which is why one of the reasons I really like the film a lot. Uh, I love that, you know, you spend so much time in that, you spend so much time in that commune and then the last act of the movie is gone. Like we're not there anymore. Yeah. Like that's just part of the journey. And I actually really love the film's third act. I, I love it when he, he, uh, makes a very important decision that prompts the uh, the last act of the movie and goes on another journey to another place we haven't Mm -hmm. been to before in the movie uh i'm avoiding spoilers uh for uh i i love that sequence a lot (laughs) I i was i was uh that was where it pays off for me of how much i am invested in his character and how intrigued i am by him uh it's, yeah, it's a, it's a really strong script. It's a really original script. It's a really strong piece of
0: work all the way around. The thing we haven't discussed about it, though, is the sound design. Yes. Uh, the way that it it gets you into his head. And just it, I think the way they said it is it's not a point of view. It's a point of sound they wanted to have. Uh, yes. And I found that very effective, um, but not overbearing. Like, there's a way to do that where it's gimmicky. And I never found it gimmicky. I found it just very effective at helping us understand how Ruben was approaching the world through this. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And it's, again, if you're paying attention necessary because you know what the end of this film has to be. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Olivia. Yeah, it's really smart. I'm sorry. Olivia cook. Also very good in this. Um, Yes. As the girlfriend. and, And I think their relationship is very, very well handled. And again, I mean, it's a, movie that doesn't go where I thought it would be would go and when it does take those it takes a different route to places I thought it would go yeah it's it's a it yes
1: <laughs> much like the first two thirds of place play on the pines if you haven't seen that I really recommend I think it's still on Netflix I have um, seen
0: place behind the pines um but I think I watched it. That was, I've talked about this before, I have those days where there's about 10 screeners and you just pop it in one after the other. Um, So I remember very little about it. It's, it's,
1: it, the first two thirds of it do what this movie does all the way through. Like I was saying, it's, it's a very, it is a situation that you've seen, just not quite like that. Mm -hmm. And it moves in places I do not expect. The problem is, uh, the last third of that movie is really uh, it's it, there's only one place it can go and that's where it goes <laughs> um and you know this movie kind of has the same thing except it's just the last scene The you know what the last scene of this movie is going to be if you're paying attention at all and yeah. it is and it's really well done it's not a knock it's not a surprise ending it doesn't need to be i'm not saying it's a problem but it is He he he's almost too airtight in his screenplays, which is a weird complaint to make because I, uh, while it's a film that would seem to be everything I want in a movie, I really dislike his first film. I dislike Blue Valentine a lot. I think Blue Valentine is everything that people complain about, uh, about that kind of movie. It does feel like a series of acting exercises. I don't believe them as people, as good as Ryan Gosling and Michelle Williams are in that film. It, it never feels. Weighted to real life in any way, it feels like a series of acting exercises, which is a bummer because I really wanted to love that movie. I was so excited to see that movie, and so disappointed in it.
0: Talk but, about a movie where people cry after sex.
1: Yes, <laughs> yeah, but it's not really pretentiously; it's really intimately. Yeah, uh, <laughs> subtle differences. So, yeah, I, I am. Uh, I am intrigued. I, I probably shouldn't be giving and Francis much as much uh, publicity in this as I have, but it just, it so feels like one of his movies that I don't know how else to, to categorize it. I, I'd like to see what, what Martyr does next
0: and if it, he continues to work with him. I agree. Uh, do we have anything else to say on this one? I, I don't. Yeah, it's, these are three movies that you should just stop listening to our show now. Uh, yeah. And go Go watch them. They are all hey, come on back. seen. Yeah. I, I feel like- I feel like with all of our 2020 catch-ups, this has kind of been the happy accident. Like there hasn't been one where I've had people say, you need to see this movie. And I've seen the movie and gone, why did you make me watch that? Uh, <laughs> it, you know, it's it, They've been mostly movies that I've really enjoyed or really loved. Um, so that that's what's been fun about this. And it kind of dispels this notion that I feel people had where 2020 was a bad year for movies. I think it was a very good year for movies if if you know for the movies we got to see i guess yes
1: it was it was a good year all things considered mm-hmm. it was a good year yes
0: all right well you can watch never rarely sometimes always on hbo max you can watch lovers rock on amazon prime and i believe sound of metal is an amazon prime film as well
1: all right well that's excellent we have clicked off all the sponsors thank we you, have. Thank you. No, that... no, we have no no we're not being paid by anybody <laughs> Oh, you're not? You've been holding out on me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I,
0: I would have been able to get a better Zencaster quality for the last episode. If <laughs> Perry, where actually, before we get into where people can find you, they can find both of us recently on uh, our buddy Nate Adams' podcast, Picks and Pans, talking about Paramount Plus.
1: Wow, that's a lot of peas. Yes, it is. <laughs> And you can find me at Perry Loves Film on Twitter, on Facebook. You can hear me every Friday morning on the Lucy Lance show on WLBY, 1290 AM in the great city of Ann Arbor. Uh, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm always somewhere in some streaming service swimming, trying to find something
0: to watch. You can find me on Twitter at Mere Christianity. You can find me on Facebook at Chrysicisms. You can subscribe to my newsletter, which is Chrysicisms, over at Substack. And Perry, let me know if this name sounds familiar to you. Okay. I just launched a website called Far from Hollywood. <gasps> which Wait was a second! Name. That was our podcast before this. Yes, it was. Uh, that is where you can find my writing about film. Um, you can find my spielberg series there which i am going to restart in the next few weeks uh right now you can find my review of raya and the last dragon on there we will be back in two weeks and we'll catch you then